0: Live from the College of Communication, Arts, and Sciences at Michigan State University, it is now time to go beyond the X's and the O's with WKAR's Current Sports. If you want to go after an athlete, one of my athletes, Come after me! I'm a man, I'm 40 My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable Well, I'm the best corner in the game When you try me with a star and like life That's the result
1: you're gonna get Yes, did I ex- expressed to them, I was mad, I was furious Just furious I know my wife will at least shot fake one time
0: We talking about practice, not a game <laughs> I told our players, you need to be more like a dog we don't need a bunch of cats
1: in here, yeah, looking in the mirror. Do I look good? I got my extra bands on, I got my other shoes on. Be a dog. We don't need no meows. We don't need no cat.
0: Here's your host, L. Martin. up, beautiful people welcome to this friday friday edition of wkar's current sports i am your host al martin coming to you on what is july 1-6-2021 i must say bit of a chilly one outside today right highs in the low 70s you know, i woke up this morning and, and the temperatures were in the 60s actually yeah, so, you know, not quite hoodie weather, but uh, it's it's cool outside. I'll just say that. Uh, showers expected. It's cloudy outside. It has been a very weird Michigan summer. But, hey, it is what it is. I'm so glad you've allowed us to be a part of your Friday afternoon as we usher you into the weekend, hopefully on a high note. Well, no, not hopefully. I know it's going to be on a high note because we will be welcoming to the hour one of my favorite guys in the industry, one of my dear friends in the industry who actually started off his sports journalism career as a production assistant here at WKAR's Current Sports when he was a student at Michigan State University and now he has gone on to now enter his fourth year with the Odessa Jackalopes of the North American Hockey League. He's the play-by-play voice of of the Jackalopes, and uh, he is just doing awesome, awesome work. But Jason Ruff is his name, hockey is his game, and he is going to touch upon a variety of topics. Seeing as though the NHL draft is right around the corner, I'm going to get his thoughts on the powerhouse. I can call them that because they are expected to have like three names taken in the top 10 of this year's NHL draft. And that is, I'm sorry, Michigan State fans, but that is the Michigan hockey program out in a Square. Yeah, pretty big stuff. Actually, if you go to the front page of the NHL uh, website on ESPN.com, that's like the first headline you'll see. It says, top 50 prospects for the 2021 NHL draft, including three Michigan stars. So I want to touch upon that with him, and I want him to compare the Michigan program to that of what Danton Cole is trying to build here. Uh, As he is entering also his fourth year as the head coach of the Michigan State hockey program. Jay Ruff will touch upon that. Of course, I'm going to talk about the Stanley Cup final as the Tampa Bay Lightning were able to beat in five games the Montreal Canadiens. And, And Jay Ruff is also going to talk about his journey. You know, what it's what it's been like this past year for him being a play by play voice. In the world of the pandemic and, you know, different things he's had to adjust to uh, how he's grown as a sports broadcaster. All right. So we're going to have a, a great chat with Jay Ruff in just a moment. OK, uh, but before we we roll in that chat, I want to let you guys know that uh, Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons, a budding star of the Detroit Pistons. He has now joined Bradley Bill in USA Basketball Health and Safety Protocol. That's right. The forward of the Pistons and Grant has entered Health and Safety Protocol at the team's training camp. And no details have been released on how long Grant will need to remain in Health and Safety Protocol. Um, but Grant has not tested positive for COVID-19. That's what Shams Sharnia Uh, and Joe Varden of The Athletic are reporting. So, you know, it could mean that he's in protocol for contact tracing purposes. He was around somebody who did test positive, uh, and there is an indication that he could miss several games as he isolates. Now, uh, Team USA was set to face Australia in an exhibition today before its pre-tournament exhibition game against Spain on Sunday out in Las Vegas, but that game actually... Was canceled due to COVID concerns. So already, you know we're seeing, and again, this isn't out in Tokyo. This is out in Las Vegas. But already we're seeing some some COVID issues when it comes to Team USA. Um, also, want to note concerning Team USA basketball, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers player Kevin Love, uh, he is deciding to withdraw from Team USA and the Olympics. He will not travel. This is according to his agent, Jeff Schwartz, who told uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski this news today. Uh, loves He actually spent uh, 10 days with Team USA in Las Vegas prepping for the games, uh, but is still returning to full form after his right calf injury that actually kept him out of a significant part of the NBA season. So, Kevin Love will not be playing for Team USA this year as he uh, tries to uh, to get healthy. And uh, hey, Phil Mickelson, my guy, Phil Mickelson is actually going to miss the cut at the Open. That's right. Uh, the results really haven't been great for uh, for a Lefty since he won the PGA Championship. But it, is, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, he's 50 years old. He became the oldest golfer to ever win a major in winning the PGA Championship this year. So, really, I think that whatever he he has done and, and continues to do after winning the PGA Championship, it really doesn't matter, right? I mean, you won the PGA Championship at the age of 50. So, Phil Mickelson has already exceeded everybody's expectations. But he, he's going to miss the cut. Uh, you won't see Lefty this weekend at the Open. Um, he shot, again, 12 over par. Uh, he had a 10 over par 80. On Thursday, uh, just his second score of 80 or higher in 94 rounds at the Open, uh, making it all but impossible to make the 36-hole cut, he added a 72 today to finish at 152, 12 over par. He said afterwards, I thought I was really ready. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, and I love the Open Championship, the British Open, you know, links golf, uh, it, it, is, it is always fun, you know, watching that. Uh, throughout four rounds every single year. But uh, when it comes to who is leading the field at the Open, well, Colin Morikawa, playing in his first Open championship and having never played Lynx golf before, he held an early second-round lead at Royal St. George's, Um, another sign that in these unusual times, it it should probably be just accepted that what is normal, what is not normal, I should say, uh, will prevail. I, I like that so, yeah, Colin Morikawa leading the field after one. And uh, he is actually still leading the field. As as I'm looking at the the leaderboard right now, uh, Colin Morikawa is actually, let's see here. Yeah, well, he actually finished up his second round still leading the field. Um, He finished up with a 64 today. Wow, that's six under par today. So that means he's nine under par leading the field. Um, and I'm looking here. Jordan Spieth, who had a great first day, uh, he shot a a 65. So just just uh, one over what Colin Morikawa shot today in round two. And uh, right now, through eight holes, he is two under. And again, this has probably changed since um, you know by the time you're listening to this. But Jordan Spieth, uh he is tied for second place, right behind Colin Morikawa. Uh, he is tied with. Luis Ostenhaisen, who through six is one under. So then you have Daniel Vontander, Emanliano Grillo, Marcel C.M., Andy Sullivan, Justin Harding, all tied for fourth place. Uh, Then you got Paul Casey in the mix. You got Tony Finau in the mix. um, Webb Simpson in the mix as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's still early. We're just talking about you know the second round, um, which a lot of golfers are are, are still playing. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens after round two. But Colin Morikawa looking very very good. All right. So I wanted to pass those stories along to you guys. Uh, tomorrow will be Game Five of the NBA Finals, and also just to piggyback off of. The story that I left you with yesterday to close out Thursday's edition of Current Sports. Uh, Richard Sherman, uh, a judge, ordered free agent corner Richard Sherman to be released from jail without bail yesterday following his arrest on suspicion of trying to break into his in law's home northeast of Seattle. So King County District Court Judge uh, Faomia Masasani found probable cause that Sherman committed four offenses. Those offenses are misdemeanor and gross misdemeanor charges of criminal trespass in the second degree, malicious mischief in the third degree, both carrying domestic violence designations and also misdemeanor charges of resisting arrest and driving under the influence. So there you have that. And um, for those who are on social media, you may or may not have seen the video that has now gone viral everywhere. I mean, I was I was on TMZ and they they had the video, of course, uh, posted on there, and then it started making the rounds on so many different Instagram pages um, throughout the evening last night. But uh, there is a video that has been leaked, I guess, or put out on purpose. I don't know uh, of Richard Sherman in that incident when he when he's trying to break down the door to get into the residence of his in-laws and it's it's a pretty disturbing video i mean he is very violently trying to break the door down um you know he's he's hitting it with his hands he's hitting it with his shoulders the door didn't budge uh, and you can hear some screams inside the house but uh but yeah that video has gone viral so again i don't i don't know what prompted this uh more details i'm sure we'll we'll get out um but again i just can't you know, anytime a, a you know, and, and then it was reported that, you know, he was threatening to to take his life, hang himself, um, you know, he was drunk. Anytime you hear of incidences like this, personal incidences like this concerning a an, an NFL player, a football player, period, you know, I, I immediately start to think about C T E. That that's just me though. I brought that up to close out last uh, yesterday's show. And, you know, I just I just think about it, man, because these football players you know th- those multiple hits to the head can can cause CTE, and I don't I don't know. I just wonder. I just wonder. Okay, but there's an update on the Richard Sherman story. All right, without further ado, though, let's get to our guest for today's current sports. Again, Jason Ruff, uh, Michigan State grad. He is now a a broadcaster, just ripping it up. He is the director of media relations and broadcasting. For the Odessa Jackalopes down in Odessa, Texas, uh, the play-by-play vo- play-by-play voice for uh, that squad, and you know he's been a part of the the hockey and sports talk radio landscape since 2013. He was a regular on our show when he was a production assistant. He's a Chicago area native, award-winning broadcaster. And um, he covered Michigan State hockey for five seasons as a writer, producer, and show host for Impact Sports 88.9 FM behind the mask as a student. And um, also was a a broadcaster and commentator for the Big Ten Network Student U. Now, he most recently worked as a, you know, uh, when it it comes to his student days, uh, he he worked as a broadcast intern for the USHL's Muskegon Lumberjacks. And uh, now he has held this position with the Odessa Jackalopes um going on four seasons now which is pretty insane to think about so here's my chat with jason ruff i really hope you guys enjoy this hey let's get right to it jay ruff man it's been a while since we had you on i i I am so excited to have you on one and then two i just want you to kind of give us an update man on, on what you know this this past year has been like you know we had you on um during i remember when the when the pandemic first hit specifically we had you back on and you were just talking about the the, the different changes that were happening. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty when it came to the world of hockey and, and, and how you guys were going to handle things with the uh, Odessa Jackalopes and whatnot. What was this past year like? What did you learn? What did it teach you?
1: Well, first off, Al, great to see you again, my friend. It's been far too long, and a special shout-out to all of your uh, listeners out there. It's been far too long since – uh since I've been talking to all of y'all as well. Al, I think the biggest thing that really impacted this season due to COVID is just the flexibility. I mean, for example, I had to stay home all of a sudden for a couple weeks because I had come into contact with someone who tested positive. So I had to learn how to call games from basically a computer monitor and doing what some of my colleagues in the NHL are doing which is calling games remotely. It was a challenge, but that we were certainly able to, to grow and become better because of those challenges. So I think the biggest thing that I learned and I took away from that season, speaking to me personally, was just the flexibility involved in having to consistently give a standard and good product out to our fans and our listeners.
0: Now, how did that work when you're when you're calling games re- remotely, Jay Ruff? Can you kind of take us into your world? Uh, what is your prep like? How is it different? Did, do, what kind of equipment do they set you up with when you are calling a game remotely? What was that? What was that like? Give us the details on that.
1: So it's very basic. The prep work, in terms of the actual game prep, is all still the same. You're still calling a hockey game. Um, you know, under normal circumstances, we have we do a simulcast. So when I broadcast on the radio um, here in Odessa mm-hmm. um, at our classic rock station, and I also uh, broadcast on online television hockeytv dot com. So when we're doing a remote broadcast, we can't do a hockey TV feed. Thankfully, we're relying on our partners, usually on the road. We didn't have to call a home game remotely, but on the road, almost all the teams in the, in our division have a home broadcaster. So they took over the hockey TV duties, but I'm plugged into that hockey TV feed and watching the game uh, through hockey TV while still having my headset, my mixer board plugged into our Classic Rock 1021 FM station here in Odessa and
0: broadcasting it to our radio listeners. Wow. That's pretty amazing, man. So you're looking at that monitor and you're, and you're, was it hard for you? Because I I, got to say this, you know, I've been doing current sports remotely, which we've been doing since March of last year. It was a little bit weird for me to try and get into work mode, broadcast mode, if you will, while being at home and, and, and being next to my pup who's, who's eating dog food right now. Right. I eventually got into this mode where I could get there, but it was Tough at first. I I, want to. Can you just touch upon that? What was it like for you when you just had to, you know, start working from home?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was. It was tough. Certainly, if you're broadcasting at home, for example, just to go back to that. Um, One of the things that I did is I dressed up in my full suit and tie just to kind of help me get into the mindset a little bit. And of course, our very first broadcast out, my computer just was not being cooperative everything was going haywire we were able to get the broad we were able to get in and get started on time but it was close (laughs) it Mm -hmm. it was a little closer for comfort than i would have liked but it, it you know at least for me when when you're doing a game you focus in you get sucked into the game and it just it just it's it's almost like a switch you get going you build momentum and all of a sudden you're off to
0: the races yeah. So it
1: wasn't really that hard to get into that mode once you started. Starting, it was the difficult part. Once you got started,
0: you were going. Without a doubt, man. And I know, you know, with, with it being remote, I mean, you didn't have to do any, really any traveling, right? Um, well, I, of course, had to travel for the games that I did go.
1: I only remote broadcast maybe four or six games. I only had to stay home a couple of times, but... Oh okay. During the rest of the season I traveled with the team. We essentially down here in the North American Hockey League played essentially a full season minus our yearly showcase that we do. We didn't do that obviously for safety concerns because that would have uh, that would have been uh, problematic. But for the rest of the time we played a full 56 game season. We extended the season all the way up and through uh April, late April and May and we got all of our games done and I traveled to almost all of them, with the entire team. And that, and that was good, I think, to get a little bit of a semblance uh, of normalcy really helped uh, not only my psyche, but the, I think the psyche of the coaches, the players, helped the fan, fans as well get into it. So it was it was a successful year in that
0: regard. Yeah, certainly. Not, did, were the fans allowed to attend any games? That they probably yes. – they were. At what capacity? They were. They were. At what capacity? At
1: half half, half capacity, they were. Well, granted, Al, we have a really big barn that seats over 5,000. So half capacity is at 2,000 or so.
0: Gotcha. That's awesome. Now, as far as like COVID tests, did you guys have to get tested often or, or how did that work?
1: I got tested every time I seemingly came into contact with someone who had turned up positive. I think if I remember correctly, I got tested like five or six times. I had to go to the same clinic, get tested, seemed like every two weeks. And they're just looking at me at the points like, you're going to get positive one of these things? Like so far, so good. Yet, If I come out of this thing without getting a positive COVID test, I may have to go to Vegas and try my luck there. Uh, <laughs> ended up with no positive test, did not get a chance to go to Vegas, unfortunately.
0: So. Oh, okay, God, oh, that's a bummer. But still, you, the good, the, the better thing is you, did, you, you didn't test positive for COVID, which is no. awesome. Did any of the no. players, uh, did you, so some of the players did or some of the staff did test positive because you said you had to work uh, on I think Somebody there were
1: a, a few in the organization. I don't remember the exact numbers and I don't know exact names, but I think there were off the top of my head, but they were quickly isolated. They got any medical assistance that they needed. They're all very minor cases, if I recall. And you know a week of bed rest and they were back to their normal self from what i understand but unfortunately i can't give you specific examples
0: no that's fine i, I mean just a, a brief overview is is totally fine again we are talking with jason Ruff, who of course is the play by play voice of the odessa jackalopes uh this will uh, be now what is your fourth season you're embarking on your fourth season year four. year 4 brother um uh doing your thing for the uh the odessa jackalopes uh, again um, a part of the the NHL, N A H L, excuse me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not
1: part of the NHL
0: yet. No, Alan. no not sure. the NHL because that's where I was going next. Actually, with the I want to I want to <laughs> touch on the NHL, but a part of the N A H L. That's uh, USA Hockey's Tier Two Junior Hockey League. Over three hundred and fifty NCAA commits every season. Over fifteen hundred active alumni uh, in the NC two A pretty big stuff, man. And it's, and it's awesome that, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before you are off to bigger things. But I'm saying that, that right there, that that is one incredible start Jay Ruff and you do an awesome job, my man. And um, I, I want to touch upon this because I mentioned the NCAA and, you know, I, I woke up in preparation for this chat with you and I looked on the front page of the NHL section on ESPN.com. Now the NHL draft is upon us and on the front page first headline the nhl draft includes three will include three michigan stars and that program which has been you know it's been a, it's been a hallmark program for a while and can you can you touch upon who's going to come out of that program to the nhl this year and and you can you just compare where michigan hockey is to where Michigan State is currently.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. The Michigan State alum in me is just scowling a vintage Mark D'Antonio scowl at that. That's how, that's how deep my love for green and white runs, and that's how much my, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it, disdain for the University of Michigan and their hockey program runs. But aside the point, the – impartial hockey journalist and storyteller in me tells me that obviously Michigan's got an absolute killer class three individuals i would expect to be taken in the first round i'm oh, uh, looking at the uh, the sns uh, draft rankings their top 10 they've got Owen Power and Matthew Beniers both Michigan guys one and two respectively then you go on down the line and you've got uh, Kent Johnson at nine and yep so that is three University of Michigan Wolverines rounding out potentially the top 10 of this year's NHL draft at least according to SN and their rankings now obviously whatever teams decide to pick that can obviously change I mean take a look at my uh Chicago Bears everyone thought uh Mr. Uh, Mr. Justin Soldier Fields was going to be a lot higher, but he eventually fell down a little bit where the Bears were able to come up and snag him. Thank
0: you. That's big, by the way. That's huge.
1: Oh, that is big. I, I, I I've, been, I've been saying a big thank you to whatever powers that be for a long time after yes. that. But
0: thank you for back- guys there because Justin Fields is, a, is an animal. He's going to be an animal there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So- but getting back, getting back to hockey, look, all these
1: guys, especially Owen Power, they are fast. They are skilled. And Michigan is going to have a lot of press on them, especially this year, as you know, as is fairly normal for that program. They have a, a tendency to attract those kinds of athletes. But I think it, it, this year, I think Michigan has to be favored to win the Big Ten Championship and essentially go to the Frozen Four with that kind of star power. You have three top ten picks on your team. I mean, the sky's the limit, I think. And so Michigan has some great expectations to reach towards. And not to say they can't do it, but they need to show that they can get something done under Mel Pearson, who is an excellent hockey coach, an excellent college hockey coach. There's a reason he is at the University of Michigan, but he needs to show that he can reach the Red Berenson levels of greatness with that program, I think. And this is obviously the class to do it. Moving over to Michigan State, I had a chance over the 4th of July holiday to talk uh, with my good friend and a name that many Michigan State hockey people will be aware of, Neil a uh, current writer for MSCSpartans.com, and as Jack Eblin calls him, uh, the human hockey website. I agree <laughs> with that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. I was talking with him a little bit today, and we kind of came to this conclusion. The University of Michigan, for the longest time, has always been able to attract these high-caliber, high-profile athletes, because they play a much more open style. They play an offensive style. Obviously, the Michigan name brand helps, I think, a little bit, but they also have a very good coaching staff, very good facilities, and they also have the press that comes with it. But most importantly, I think it's more the offensive style that they play and the proven recent track record that we can put stars in the NHL. I think that's key point. That's what Danton Cole at Michigan State is trying to build. Now you have to go back Mich- Michigan State, going back to the early 90s in the, I guess you'd call it the second stage of the great Ron Mason's career. Ron Mason always played a little bit more of a defensive style hockey. I call it a bulldog style of hockey, a bite and grab style where you would only give up one, two goals a game. You'd win games two to one three to three to one but you'd win games but you wouldn't win them Eight to five or five to one, the way Michigan was winning games. And so that tends to attract a different kind of athlete. That attracted athletes like Ryan Miller, who's just who announced his retirement this season. Uh Duncan Keith, who's been win who's won three Stanley Cups of the Chicago Blackhawks, just been traded to the Edmonton Oilers. Those types of individuals. So it's always been a con, uh, contrast of styles, essentially, for Heck, almost the last 20, 30 years almost. Obviously, things changed a little bit in terms of coaching regimes. But in general, I think when recruits think of those two different schools, that's the kind of mental image that they take. When looking at Michigan State this year, I think this is going to be Danton Cole's best class, in my opinion. He's gotten a lot of good guys, including some top uh, 20 goal scorers in the United States Hockey League, which is uh, the North American Hockey League's Tier 2 juniors, United States Hockey League is Tier One Junior, so they're the league directly above us. So they're going to have a Michigan State's going to have some weapons here this year. They also have a lot of returning, a lot of returnees coming back as well, which should really, really help them. They've got a great young stud goaltender as well waiting in the wings this year, who could potentially take the starting job and run with it. We'll see. So I think Michigan State should be competitive this year. I see no reason why they should not be competitive why they should not be in the mix uh, in that Big Ten hunt. Will they win it? I I can't really quite say, but I will say that they should be competitive. I don't see a reason why Michigan State should not be this year with the returners that are coming back this year, with the freshmen they have coming in, as well as a couple of transfers, including a goal scorer from Northern Michigan who is big, strong, and likes to mucky it up a little bit and get physical at times. Lord knows you need more of that in this game, in this especially in this day and age. But uh, I don't see a reason why Michigan State cannot be competitive. And you know when Michigan, Michigan State always get together, throw out the record books because that is a blood feud of the highest order. There's a reason why I personally like to call it the rivalry.
0: Yeah, and th- and that's that's the thing, man. It, you you it, whether it's hockey, basketball, football, lacrosse, it does not matter. Golf. I mean, you you throw out the records the hate and the disdain that these two schools have for one another. Um, anything can happen without a doubt. So, and, you know, also, J-Ruff, I was, <clears throat> when you were in East Lansing, I don't know if you had a chance to check out Munn, but I, I drove by Munn Ice Arena. And that new renovation, dude, whoa. I mean, I, I just, I haven't even been inside. But just looking at the outside of it, I'm like, yo, it, it just, it, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. And I, I just want you to touch upon because, again, when you were a student, you called many games inside of that building. You know that building very well. Um, spent many hours in that building. What do what What were the atmospheres like when you were there? And what do you think this new renovation will do to the in-game experience at MUN, this upcoming season specifically, and, and do you think it will attract more fans? I'm curious.
1: Well, funny you mentioned uh, that I know Munn very well. I always joke, and also especially with you, that back in my college days, I could be found three places, Com Arts Building, Holden Hall, which is where Impact Studios are, and uh, Mon Ice Arena. So those are the three places. More times out of night, you can find me there. <laughs> um, I think well, this renovation is going to be key for the program. Uh, they announced it my sophomore year uh, or – basically their plans for it, and now it's finally going to come to fruition. I think the $1.5 million gift that they've recently received will help incredibly Mm -hmm. in that regard. In terms of the fan experience, I'm not sure uh, fans are going to see that big of an impact right now. I know the biggest change that they want to do is they want to flip the ice over. So what that means, currently uh, Michigan State's bench and their locker room are currently on the I think that's the north side, the side closer to Demonstration Hall and the uh, and the wood lot that's right behind there. The visitor side is over by Munfield. Just to give you folks a bearing, Spartan Stadium is over on the right hand side. Obviously, Breslin over on the left hand side, the side that Michigan State defends at uh, defends twice. I believe what they want to do is they want to flip it, so they want to put Michigan State's bench and their locker rooms on the Munfield side and put the visitors on the demonstration hall side. That's probably, from what I understand talking with people, that's not going to happen this year because of COVID they had to pause construction and they don't have enough time to tear everything out, switch everything over, reset the concrete, and put the seats back in before the uh, next season starts. So I think what they're going to do, they're going to try to finish up the renovation. They're going to limp through this season Kind of having a weird scenario where Michigan State's going to be on the, have their locker room on the, uh, um, Munfield side, but their bench is going to be on the other side and vice versa for the visitors. And then this coming off season, after, next off season, I should say, they'll go in, tear everything out because they got to tear up concrete. They got to tear up seats and then switch the boards around and then reset everything. So I think not this coming season, but the season after fans are going to notice that difference. Obviously the Hall of History is going to be key for the fans. But I think, Al, to be honest with you, where this uh, impact is going to be most felt is going to be in terms of recruiting. I think this will put Michigan State, in terms of facilities, back on par with a number of their Big Ten partners, including the likes of Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State, and the like. Basically put them back on par with their Big Ten partners because that's the thing with this league. -hmm. All these teams that Michigan State are going up against, they're big name schools. They're big name schools with big athletic budgets who put a lot of time and effort into, into, into hockey. Obviously they have other sports that would take priority, of course, but they also have the athletic department budgets that can support hockey. And you look at the teams that have been very good, both in terms of the big schools and the little schools. What's the common theme you see? Those are athletic departments who have put resources Towards hockey, because let's be honest, kids recruits, you know, and I and I cover kids who are making college decisions. They want to go to school with with a decent name where they are probably going to have success, but they also want to have all the lights, the bells, and the whistles. So I think Michigan State having those uh, amenities will be key. It's just like football. Why does Michigan, why does it seem like every 2 years Michigan State football announces they're having either some new renovation or some new addition? Obviously things going well I think with uh, coach Mel Tucker and I'm very excited to see his second year, but it's the exact same thing. You got to have all the lights and the bells and the whistles in order to compete in the cutthroat world of college athletic recruiting.
0: And that's trying to woo these 15, 16, 17 year olds to come to your younger court. in hockey, too, because you got to go 13, remember, because of the why right. uh, it's uh, going down. younger in every sport. Like, I remember yeah. I was having a conversation with Susie Merchant a few years ago, and she's like, Yeah, we got our eyes on this 12 year old now. And I'm like, 12 year old, just wow. insane, dude. I mean, and that's why. And I said this earlier this week on current sports recruiting is the least favorite part of my job i i you know you you got to cater to these young kids you don't know what interests them because they have attention spans about you know uh, shorter than a fresh prince episode and so it's like it's like dude man it's like what do you do what do you do man so i it, it, it reminds me of um for i don't know if you've seen he got game with denzel washington and Ray. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it reminds me of when when everybody was trying to recruit him, and hey, we got this here, we got this here, we have this here, and it's like recruiting is just. Don't give me. Let me get off my soapbox right now because I can go on a rant that'll probably last <laughs> the rest of our interview. But I want to ask you this: We, a whole, we can go a whole show on this, Al. We can go we can a, whole a whole show on this. Show. We go a whole kid, show. Kids kid
1: walking right. around with the t-shirts like, "Oh, Crystal Ball to this school. He must like that. We she must
0: <laughs> like this one. It's crazy. And then you got these grown men." who obsess, Uh, that's the weird thing. You got these grown men out there who obsess over these 16, 15-year-olds. It's like, dude, go mow the lawn or something, man. Be productive with your life, man. All right, folks, more with play-by-play voice of the Odessa Jackalopes and Michigan State alum Jason Ruff after this break. Okay. But but you know what? I want to I want you to touch upon this, man, because this has been like the big topic the last two weeks here on the show. Name, image, and likeness going into play now when it comes to the world of college sports, game changer, I believe, and it's long overdue. How we all know the impact this will have. We we talked about it extensively, the impact this will have on the big dogs in football and in basketball. I'm curious. What kind of an impact will this have on college hockey? Will we see what much like what, we see, what we're what we going to see, I believe, in basketball and football, like the big names on the big hockey programs saying, you know, hey, hey, man, I'm going to go out and, and do a, a local car commercial. I'm going to go out and be a sponsor for this restaurant. I'm going to go out and, you know, uh, I don't know, get endorsed by said company. Will you see a lot of that in college hockey? I think you'll see some of it, uh, maybe not obviously to the
1: extent of uh, football and basketball because let's be honest, we all live in football and basketball's world. And it's, it's their world. We're just living in it. Mm-hmm. But I think this will definitely have an impact on college hockey. I think that I certainly applaud Michigan State for getting their NIL program out of the gate fast. I think that puts them, gives them a bit of a head start. And helping these college athletes. And that's something they can market to these college athletes as well. These hockey players say, look, you want to be a big name guy. We can get you and help you market your brand. And I think it, it might take a couple of years for the trickle down effect to reach hockey. Obviously it's going to be felt in, in the big two first in football and basketball first. I think it'll take a couple of years before it trickles down into hockey, but I think eventually it'll will. I think with NIL, honestly, I think, honestly, it's going to help the richer programs get richer, the programs that can afford to help these student-athletes and guide them. They're going to be able to utilize that and say, hey, you come to X school, whatever that is, we can help you market your brand. You may want to be thinking about that school, but can they really help you? I think I think it's going to help the Boston schools. My goodness. Because remember, you've got four schools in the greater Boston metro area, BU, BC, uh, Northeastern, and Harvard. You got four of those schools. Although Harvard is Ivy League, that's gonna be the question. That's gonna be the 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 question mark in college hockey. What are the Ivies gonna do with this? Because they you know they're all off in their own little world. Mm-hmm. But I think this will have a trickle-down effect in college hockey. I think it will help the richer programs get richer. Unfortunately, the poorer programs uh, will struggle more than
0: likely, I think. And show. So, it will it will be more so is that a is that a bad thing? It sounds like it, Jay Ruff, because it sounds like I mean, it will yes more and no, top, more yes and heavy? no. For or, Michigan, like, what's the incentive? For- what's the incentive of a guy who's like maybe a four or five star guy, hockey player, going to a, a lower tier? Well, I don't say lower tier. You know, one of the programs out there who aren't on television all the time or who don't. Let's go Denver. Basketball. Perfect example. Denver or
1: North Dakota. Those are. Those are some of the be-all, end-all names in college hockey. North Dakota, Denver, you don't see them much in football or basketball, primarily because their sport is hockey. I think for those programs, I think it'll be okay. I'm talking more about the Ferris States and the Michigan Techs of the world. Yep. Because when, I, when you're talking about a program like North Dakota and Denver, they have the resources and the prestige in the college hockey world that they're they'll they'll get there they'll get their recruits it's it's just like just like if alabama if post nick saban whenever that excuse me whenever that's gonna be alabama's gonna get their recruits because it is alabama michigan's gonna get their guys because it's michigan ohio state's gonna it there's a thing for name brand it's gonna take a while for name brands to kind of sink down with you will i'm thinking more towards the smaller schools the Miami, Ohio's of the world, the Western Michigan's of the world, schools that are a little bit lower level. Their main sport isn't necessarily hockey. They do have a strong hockey tradition, but do they have the resources to consistently compete with those big dogs? Because remember, Miami, Ohio and Western Michigan, they're in the NCHC. They're going up. They're in conference against teams like North Dakota, Denver, uh, Minnesota, Duluth. So they're going up against big dogs in our league. And of course you got the Big Ten, which is all big dogs. There's no room for weakness in the Big Ten. So I don't, so for a school like Michigan State, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. For a school, say maybe like Ferris, as much as I hate to say it, Northern, Northern Michigan at NIL may not, maybe I could be wrong, but I don't see how they'll see an impact, a positive impact from NIL, at least to start off. What I'm really interested in, and I don't have an answer for this. I wish I did. What I'm really interested in is if this will affect the relationship between college hockey and Canadian major junior hockey. Because the argument for excluding, if you will, Canadian major junior players for the longest time has been, well, they're getting paid. They're getting paid to play, and they are obviously forfeiting their amateur status. Could that change with the NIL? Who knows? I personally Hope it does. I think college hockey is doing itself a disservice by excluding a number of strong hockey players that do play in college hockey. And I get the flip side argument, too. You say, well, if you open up the floodgates, then these kids that might be willing to go play uh, major junior hockey, they're going to decide to go play major junior, and only college hockey will get the, the washouts from Canadian major juniors. I don't. I understand that argument. I understand the the merits of that argument. I don't necessarily agree with some of those points, but I do understand that argument. So, be what I'm keeping an eye on most in terms of NIL and college hockey is going to be the relationship between the NCAA and the Canadian Major Junior system. That's really, what I'm keeping
0: an eye on. This is why we have this man on whenever we talk hockey on current sports, Jason Wright <laughs> of the Odessa Jackalopes. Putting us on game, putting me on game. I didn't, I didn't even know that that discussion. Thank you so much, J-Rough, for bringing that up. Uh, so now I want to pivot. Got to talk about what just happened in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning take home Lord Stanley. I, I said on yesterday's current sports, man, Tampa Bay fans are so dang spoiled. You just won the Super Bowl with the goat, Tom Brady. And now you just turn around and win the Stanley Cup, beating the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, and it seems like for me, Rob, you know, following that series, the Canadians. I think what they was it a five game series, right? Five game series. I only won one game, and every game that I tuned into it was like Tampa Bay was just dominating. Like it wasn't even yeah. really competitive, man. Can you take take me through what you were thinking watching that series, and why was Tampa the the the, the last team standing this year?
1: Well, I can tell you one thing. I'm going to start off with this just to talk about how much Tampa Bay fans have spoiled. They broke the cup. They dented Lord Stanley's cup so much so it had to be shipped back to Montreal for repairs. Um, The keeper of the cup usually has a a kit that he can bump out any bumps and bruises. But, no, this was so bad. The cup was dented inwards. They had to take it back to Montreal for repairs.
0: How did that
1: I have, you, I have to tell you how crazy they are down in Tampa Bay. I don't know what will.
0: Uh, how course, did that happen, Jason? How did that happen?
1: I don't know. No one knows. All, all we know that we have photographical evidence that the cup was dented, that it had to be taken back for repair. I was joking with my parents. If I'm Montreal, I'm saying, no, you, you're not getting it back. I would have just kept it. <laughs> That's right. But to so answer your question.
0: Uh, somebody maybe at the club out. partying with it, man. Maybe bumped into it or really hard bump. I don't know. That's great.
1: Boat, maybe. I don't
0: know. <laughs> On a but boat, to yeah. Your question. Or somebody threw it like Tom Brady threw the <laughs> Super Bowl trophy, right? To answer your
1: question, Al. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that. But yeah. to answer your question, Al, I knew after the uh, Toronto series when Montreal upset Toronto in seven games, I think everyone knew the Canadians were going to go as far as Carey Price was going to be able to carry them. And give credit to Carey Price. He carried them far. He carried them to his Stanley Cup final.
0: All right, more with Jason Ruff of the Odessa Jackalopes right after this. Before we get out of here, though, I want you to uh, to just let our listeners know um, how they can follow you, how they can follow the Jackalopes. What's up with you guys? What's 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 like? What's your schedule looking like now? And when does the season begin for you all? Can you give us all that information for those that want to? Happy
1: to do so. So the Jackalopes are getting set for their 25th year of hockey in the Permian Basin. This will be our 11th in the North American Hockey League. Um, if folks you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Jason underscore R underscore Rough. That's where I do the vast majority of my. My social media presence. You can also follow the Jackalopes at Let's Go Jacks on Twitter. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as well at Let's Go Jacks. Be sure to follow us along. Our season starts in late September. Uh, we're getting a bit of an earlier start this year than we did last year in the COVID year, but we're getting started in early September. We're going to be on the road until late October because uh, oil show is coming to the Ector County Coliseum and that takes pretty much the whole town revolves around the oil show when it comes in obviously the Permian Basin, Odessa, big oil countries. So we're going to be road warriors for the, to start things off, but then we're going to get into November, December, and then we're we're just going to be home the whole time. We're going to be home the whole time in November, December going into the Christmas break. It'll be a really fun season. We've got a number of teams coming back who were idle, the Corpus Christi ice race. That's always a fun trip. We have a, a new Amarillo team. So Amarillo, left, and then a new team came in to Amarillo. So Amarillo, is gonna, who's been a traditional rival of ours, they're going to have hockey still. And that's very passionate fan base over in the Texas Panhandle, so we're really happy that we're going to be able to continue playing games over there. And we've also got the El Paso Rhinos coming into the league for the first time. They're the group that won uh, the Craft Hockeyville Arena upgrade a few years ago. So they've been doing that. They've had a lot of success at the NA3 level. They're now moving up to the uh, N- the regular NAHL. They're going to be a division rival of ours, obviously. Odessa, El Paso, not too far drive—about three and a half hours or so, give or right. take. <laughs> that's 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 a short drive in Texas, folks. Let me tell you. <laughs> but uh, we're we're all really excited. Obviously, the Shreveport Mudbugs, defending Robertson Cup champions, after they took down the uh, league champion Aberdeen Wings uh, in the playoffs. So. Treeports, really, really tough opponent. They put together good teams year in and year out, though the Jack Jackalopes have always played them tough. Really excited to see what this year is going to bring, 25th year in Odessa. I have a feeling it's going to be a good one, at least I oh, hope
0: so. Without a doubt. <laughs> glass, full. glass half full. Yeah, glass half full. And I know I already know you're going to rock out the mic, man, like you always do. And, you know, I was telling you before we before we hopped on, man, that there, there are so many of uh, our current sports listeners who – who have been following your work since you since you left uh, Michigan State and, and and got the gig there, and you're doing a, a great job. And they enjoy they enjoy following you, Jason. And uh, only a matter matter of time before you're doing a Stanley Cup game, brother. So um, that'll I, I love following you, brother. Keep up the amazing amazing work, and uh, and we'll be in touch, bro. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Al. All the best to you and your listeners. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this chat with Jay Ruff. Uh, always great catching up with him. And we got to have him back on soon because um, I'll just say this. He'll have an announcement. I'll just say that. All right. <laughs> All right, folks. I want you guys to have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you back here. Same place. Same time. One Monday. Be smart. Be safe. And be easy, people.